0: Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and we have a very special episode. We are actually in the office, the FCA office with Signal Magazine. three different people we're talking to today. We have Bob Ackerman, the Editor-in-Chief, Kimberly Underwood, the Senior Editor, and George Seifers, the Executive Editor and Director of Content Development. So thank you all for taking your time to speak with us this afternoon and for having us in your office. Thank you, You're well. Christine. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to do this a little bit like a roundtable, and I'm going to ask all of you different types of questions. Feel free to weigh in whenever you'd like to. Um, I will direct specific questions to each of you depending on the topic, and then I'm also here with Evan Weisel, who may you may hear chime in a bit too. So, all right. So let's start out, Bob. Why don't you give us a quick overview of Signal and who it serves, what you cover—just a broad overview for our listeners.
1: Certainly, Signal Magazine has been around for more than 70 years. We, RFC, is official publication, and as such, the magazine has spawned a host of complementary media outlets. We have our online features. We have online coverage of events. We have videos that we do. uh, Webinars are very popular. And essentially, Signal Magazine is now not really at the heart but a part of media empire that deals with the FCA community and brings very specific topics of discussion. The areas of interest that our people want, free of commentary, entirely news and what we feel is important for them in government, industry and academia to help them do their jobs.
0: Excellent. So can you tell us what your role is and then George and Kimberly the same thing?
1: Well as editor in chief I run the magazine. Mm -hmm and I provide some oversight to some of the online products. I also do the videos and the webinars. George and Kimberly also do videos and webinars as well. But uh, I do the planning. I organize what articles are going to run in the magazine Mm -hmm. and we plan three issues at a time to make sure that we have enough lead to generate good content for them. So I'm essentially the captain of the ship, to use yeah. a nautical term, although we pride ourselves on being joint here. <laughs> uh, neither land, nor sea, nor air, nor space are individual domains. Got
0: it. So Kimberly, what are you specifically interested in covering?
2: Um, I cover anything that FCA members might be interested, which is communication and electronics. But that's a huge range mm-hmm. of things. But we don't cover tanks. You know, we might cover the systems inside a tank. Um, so I cover the Air Force, um, Homeland Security um, as ma- two main agencies, but then I also cover, you know, anything related to cyber or communication satellites or robots or, you know, so there's a big range within what AFSI is interested in. So. Okay.
3: Yeah, and George? Um, as the um, executive director or, or editor... Uh, I am essentially Bob's right-hand man. Uh, if he needs to be out of the office for a certain period of time, I will step up and try to fill those shoes. Um, and then I also coordinate outside contributed uh, articles. So if someone from industry or academia or uh, government wants to contribute an article either for the magazine or, or uh, a blog for online, I'm the person uh, for them to contact.
0: Okay, fantastic. I know we're seeing a lot of um, contributed content these days. What do you look for when um, you know, an industry is pitching you an article to include? That's something that I'm sure a lot of people will be interested
3: in. What we look for primarily are for them to identify an issue and offer solutions. And I want to specify that it should not be promotional in any way. So if they're touting a solution, it should not be their solution. Uh, It should be an opportunity for thought leadership rather than marketing or uh, public relations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how did each of you get your start in Mm -hmm. journalism? I know all of you have various levels of experience, and I'm just interested in hearing how you got your start, and then what brought you to this niche?
1: Well, I studied communications at Boston University. I was a journalism student there. I had intended to go into broadcasting and I did some radio work, but I liked the written word more because you could go into depth more. I did digress after covering the 76 election. I worked on some campaigns as a press aide and then got tired of that and got back into this field. Moved down to Washington because this area is where the news is made. Despite what other cities may think in terms of their size and their influence, it all comes out of Washington. And I joined Signal in 1987 and they kept giving me a good reason to stay, not the least of which was the work we do here is important. Mm -hmm. I've had many articles that have been read into the Congressional record, used in NATO deliberations, they've gone around the world, I've even been called a warmonger by the Soviet Communism propaganda machine. Wow. Which I which I thoroughly enjoyed. That's a badge of honor. That
0: is a badge of honor. I was going to say uh, that was
1: back in the '80s. So working here uh, just fell naturally into my lap, and I moved up till I became editor in chief in 1998. But I, as I said, I got my start in what we fondly called J school, and just took the trade as far as I could.
0: Wow. I'm just curious, like, you have been doing this for, um, covering this, this space for a long time. What have you seen as, like, what would you say is one of the biggest pieces of evolution since, you know, becoming the editor in, in 1998?
1: Well, the digital revolution really has changed everything. It used to be we could work a long time, very thoughtful pieces for the magazine, and we still do that. But that isn't what defines Signal Media anymore. We have our online products. One key point is a publication we call the Cyber Edge. Now, we run that in print quarterly, but it is an ongoing express train online. George is in charge of it. That covers cyber topics, some by reporters, George, Kimberly, or myself, and others by contributed experts in the field. The fact that so much has gone digital has changed the habits of our audience in terms of what they want and when they want it. And that's been the biggest change I've seen over the past few decades.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't argue that point. I mean, social media, digital um, webinars, like you mentioned earlier, is just really taking over the the journalism space right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So Kimberly, how did you get your start and what brought you here? I didn't go the traditional route of J school. Um, Mm -hmm. I got a
2: degree in economic theory from American University Um, And, of course, my parents, you know, when I graduated college, were like, okay, you're on your own. We've, you know, you have to find a job. So I found an internship at the American Gas Association, and I was working a lot with numbers and also writing. And there was a point where I would go into some of my bosses, and one had a computer of all spreadsheets. That was his day of all spreadsheets and number crunching and statistics, which I liked. But I found that I really liked writing more. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was in the energy field for a long time as a consultant writing reports, big you know 100, 200 page reports. Um, then took time off to be to be a mom um, and then started reporting one day a week for a, an energy journal that led to another energy journal and then I came across FCA. and so that's really kind of been, I guess a dream job since then to be able to write all the time every day. Yeah so. that's fantastic.
0: George, go for it.
3: (laughs) Well, I actually started as an intern uh, at the Batesville Daily Guard in Batesville, Arkansas when I was in college. And so I was writing wedding announcements and that sort of thing. Oh, wow. Uh, And they needed a uh, sports writer, and I was not a sports person, but they encouraged me to give it a shot. And so I did, and and it worked out well. Um, But once I came out here, you know, I had had seven years uh, in the Army Signal Corps, Mm -hmm. so this Topic. This topic area was a natural fit for me.
0: So, from wedding announcements to sports, and now here at Signal, that's that's quite the journey. Yeah, I've been at at Signal
3: for nine years. I worked uh, initially with Defense News and then Federal Computer Week. Cool. Yeah.
0: So, this question can be for any of you, but what? Who is one of your most memorable interviews or one of your most memorable stories that you've written? Hmm. I'll They're all thinking.
2: In. I'll <laughs> jump in, I guess. I um, We're l- learning a lot about artificial intelligence. Um, and so I set up an interview with a, a woman at NSA or sorry, NGA, and um, she's kind of the AI guru there. And I was very excited to meet her or, you know, talk to her over the phone. And, and um, we had just moved to this office and I, I emailed them the wrong phone number. And so when the call was supposed to come in, you know, it didn't come in at that time. And then I quickly emailed them the right number, but they in the meantime the phone rang, and they're like, "Well, we're in Intel. We have your number. Don't worry." <laughs> um, so that was kind of, you know a, an embarrassing thing, but it was kind of funny that um, an experience. But then in the interview, just speaking to someone who's kind of changing the world um, as far as within NGA, about how they can um, change their Intel analysis using kind of modern day you know, computing solutions like AI, I thought that was
0: pretty fascinating. So, yeah, definitely. That was recently, so. Alright, who's up next? Bob, you got someone? <laughs> well,
1: there are two actually <laughs> that come to mind very different. Uh, in 2001, I interviewed George Tenet, director of the CIA, one-on-one in his corner office, and that was three weeks before 9-11. And in that interview he said this country is headed for a catastrophic intelligence failure on a national scale. And when it happens the president will have no options but to respond instead of being able to try and deter what happens. Three weeks before 9-11 he said that and that was in the opening of the article. And we sent it to the printer on 9-12. I quickly inserted a little bug at at the top of the article in which uh, I said he This interview and this article were done three weeks before the events of 9-11. So that one, sadly, we hit right on the head. The other one I remember most was uh, in the 90s. I had been pushing, this was before I became editor-in-chief, to do articles on sensors and other devices to help detect chemical or biological weapon agents. And I ended up writing about a 16-page report, several articles, That included a trip up to Fort Detrick to U.S. Army, uh, USAMRID, where I saw people in spacesuits working on Ebola from behind thick glass. And I learned things about biological warfare that I really wished I hadn't. And then I interviewed a fellow in the Pentagon, an intelligence expert, who spoke on background. I could only identify him as a member of the intelligence community and he scared the daylights out of me. And I threw him a couple of sucker questions just to see if he was trying to exaggerate, and he shot both of them down, which meant he was playing it straight. He wasn't going to take the bait and give me another exaggeration. He kept it in the ballpark. I was really shaken after that interview. Uh, I went down to the Pentagon concourse, to the gift shop, and bought some flowers, brought them home, gave them to my wife. Uh, It really shook me up. And about two months after my articles appeared, the Secretary of Defense, Bill Cohen, appeared on one of the Sunday morning talk shows with a bag of flour. And he said, this much anthrax weaponized and distributed over Washington, D.C. on a warm summer afternoon could depopulate half the region in three weeks. What I didn't know was that someone in the defense community had decided it was time to tell the public about this and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and they chose me to be the test vehicle for getting the word out about the threat and once I put that out there then as I said a couple months later they began to put the word out about the dangers of biological warfare but I still remember uh, bringing the flowers home to my wife it was uh, take refuge in your family Mm -hmm. things could end very quickly that was, and more so than I've ever felt about nuclear war or climate change or anything else that people wow. talk about.
0: That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah,
3: that's a that's a really hard question, just yeah. because we get to speak to so many really interesting people uh, in this job. Um, you know, researchers who are developing metal foam for uh, armor or building robots at a molecular level or working with artificial intelligence. I mean, it's it's just every week, just about, mm-hmm. it's something, a new fascinating topic. But I guess I'll go back to uh, the mid-90s when I was at Defense News. Uh, it was another one of those, happened to be in the right place at the right time moments. I was at a small conference at Fort Bragg, I believe. And it was so small that no other reporter went there, but I got the story of uh, the Defense Department developing a, um, the Joint Task Force for Computer Network Defense. And that was the precursor to all of the stuff we see now in in the cyber world. They weren't even calling it cyber at the time, uh, but I was able to break that story.
0: Wow. Well, you all have some really interesting experiences. (laughs) I'm glad we asked that question because that was really fascinating. Um, And it, it definitely shows that you've learned so much like covering this space. And one question that we always ask during these interviews is, what do you think is going to be one of the biggest headlines that we take away in 2019? It's a little bit of that prediction angle, but also just maybe something that's already happened or something that we anticipate might be, might be coming up in the headlines.
1: I don't think we've ever seen a time in the past 30 years where things have been so unpredictable. Now, that may seem like a cop-out, but you know, tomorrow we could go to war with Iran. Or not. Right. Right. Uh, North Korea might sign a nuclear non-proliferation agreement or maybe they'll just test a new kind of nuclear weapon. Things are very unpredictable both uh, politically and militarily. And by politically I include economics. Who's going to win the Israeli election? That's up for grabs. All these factors are influencing events that are yet to transpire. So I'm going to cop out on your question and say I can't make a prediction because it is just totally unpredictable Mm -hmm. right now, which in a way is good because you don't go in with preconceived notions. You look at what's happening in the news and you report it and you put it in perspective. And I think that's the key to having good reportage.
3: That's good.
0: Yeah, and I think your answer is spot on with unpredictable. I think that's, that's a really good answer for it. Any anyone else want to weigh in on that, or
2: yeah, I guess I would say when I talk to thought leaders, um, they're talking a lot about kind of your own personal identity, and I don't think we have the luxury anymore of just kind of being a person in society, going about your business. Nowadays, you go shopping, um, and just because you're physically in an area and your phone's on, um, you're going to get messages for you to buy a certain Mm -hmm. thing, Um, and you're seeing that already. But that's going to be even more amplified in everything. So you the ability to be invisible. Um, you're going to have to turn off everything and and not connect to anything to just have what we thought was right. lifelike before. I guess. And never leave sure. your house. Yeah, and never leave that's your house. Fine. Yeah, and just and so for for people of our age, that's not a luxury. And, and if you have you know, a newborn coming along, you know they're they're going to be already so well-known, you know, yeah. just by existing, which is, I think, kind of scary.
1: Apropos to what Kim has just said, if you won't allow me to go beyond 2019, I would say Big Brother is moving in, and you don't even know it yet. Mm-hmm. But the Chinese are establishing a surveillance state, and no doubt industry will be picking up on that and using it to its advantage. But once established, those tools can be used by anyone. And I do believe that privacy as we know it will need a new definition for the not-so-distant
3: future.
0: Got it. So redefining privacy for the next unforeseen future, Mm -hmm. right, the next decade.
3: I think I would go with the Army's creation of Futures Command. Uh, This is a brand-new command that is literally building the Army's future and making history at the same time when you combine intelligence and, and uh, cyber and C2 and ISR and all these things uh, together so that they converge uh, into multi- multi-domain operations. Military operations are never going to be the same. This is the beginning of an era mm-hmm. and the end of an era.
0: Right. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Signal and then go into some listener questions as well. So um, being a monthly print publication, how far in advance are you working? Um, Give us some insight into the online presence and a little bit more about Signal as it is.
1: Well, today we just had a meeting to lay out the uh, list of articles for our January issue. Okay. So we look about three and a half months in advance and then we, uh, we, we work, as I said, in three issues at any given time. And that can be difficult because you're trying to line up interviews for, and write articles for three issues.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Actually two issues and then hopefully the third one is already in place. But for the feature articles in the magazine, the print articles, we start well in advance because, frankly, getting people to talk to you sometimes is very difficult and has become more so over the years. So we have a about a three-and-a-half-month lead-in when we introduce stories mm-hmm. and then we start working them.
0: Got it. Great. Um, and then we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but you, all of you, likely get a crazy amount of press releases, pitches on a daily basis. Let's let's dig into that a little bit. <laughs> Our audience always likes to hear some of that insight from you guys and where you sit. So how do you, how should um, organizations, spokespeople, experts differentiate themselves? And also, just talk about the, the quantity of information that you're getting on a daily basis in your email inbox. I probably get 10 pitches a day, maybe more or less.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say And a lot of them come in, you know, very thoughtfully written email, um, you know, that ends with, would you like to speak with our expert? Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess Signal itself focuses on interviews. That's kind of our style. So we're always talking to people. So I don't necessarily have time to talk to another person that day. But if somebody would send, um, you know, a press release with some quotes or some thoughts that are in it that, you know, maybe that's content that I can use. Um, but honestly, I like when people call me. You know, we, since okay. we get so many emails, you know, you know, call me, and that that works sometimes. Good
0: insight, George. Uh,
3: I would have to agree with the call me. That's likely to be more effective than sending an email. I literally have thousands of unopened uh, emails in, in my inbox. Thousands.
2: I've only been two years, more, so he gets more of the emails. <laughs> I,
0: I,
3: I need
2: the content, so I mean, right, yeah. <laughs>
3: But I look at the subject line, and I, I judge based on the subject line uh, most of the time.
0: Okay. So what would be a compelling subject line? I guess something short and to the point?
3: Short and to the or point. Or George, yes. open this? Or, <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, I guess if, if, you know, we
2: obviously, and I should have brought the copy in, but we have um, an editorial calendar for our print side um, that we set. You know, we just released our one for 2020. So it has all the topics we cover for the magazine for the year. So, and of course, we work four months in advance or three months in advance. Um, But if somebody, you know, PR firm, that would be good to check the calendar. Like, oh, what are we working on? Because many Mm -hmm. times I get a pitch, oh, I see you're, they've looked at the calendar, but they don't realize we're, oh, we did that three months ago. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, for the print side. Good to know. The online side is a little more, you know, kind of we follow our nose and what's kind of out there and it can be quick and be, you know, post the same day an article, but that's a little different.
3: And make sure that it's on the topics that we cover. Uh, The the emails that are unopened, they're about kitchen utensils and watches and tailors and, you know, (laughs) I'm not opening those. No.
1: (laughs) The one thing I would emphasize, I I depart from my colleagues on the phone calls, I just don't have time to take Mm -hmm.
3: them.
1: But if someone wants to pitch an idea to me, they need to think like a journalist. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: The headline, the subject should be the headline why should I care about this story? Here's why. It's in the subject line, as if it's a headline. And the news release should be written like a news story. Now, the old, it was a dark and stormy night (laughs) when little Johnny Jones woke up and decided that someday he was going to make a difference in the world and then three paragraphs down you find out this is the guy who invented something that you're supposed to know about started like a news story Mm -hmm. because if I see a good-looking headline in the subject line I'll probably be interested and when I open it and I start reading it like a news story well then you've got me then I'm hooked and areas of interest uh, You know, some outfits that do their research know what signal likes and doesn't like. But even if they know what we want, if they don't word it properly, because I get dozens of emails a day in this thing and I really need to be able to see the good ones jump out of me. I don't have time to read every word. Right. So that's what I encourage. Give me a subject line that looks like a headline and then Give me a story that looks like it's a newspaper story with a lead that gets right to the point. What is important about this? Why it's important? How you need to approach it.
0: Great insight, really good advice there. All right, so let's go to some listener questions. I'm gonna pull up my my piece of paper here. So, I'm gonna read it as it is, it's a little bit long. (laughs) Um, So much technology is being driven far outside of the .gov lineage today. The cloud, autonomous vehicles, geographic information, 5G, et cetera. Are you looking to reach readers in any of those communities, even if they're not among the defense contractors and DOD pros often associated with Signal?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Of course, we aim for the FCA community because FCA is our parent organization, more than 30,000 members, and those people run the breadth of national security issues, intelligence, defense, Majority of them, though, are civilians. They may be in contractors. And the majority of companies that belong to FCA are small businesses. Anyone in the military right now who's involved in technology will tell you the best stuff is coming out of the commercial sector. And that's where they look for things. We peer into the commercial sector and we're starting to look more into academia because there's been a lot of research in academia that suddenly is making the leap across what used to be firewalls, because it has capabilities that people need, not just want, but need. So our, uh, our traditional audience is and always will be the APCEA community, but frankly, there are an awful lot of people who ought to join that community if mm-hmm. they want to know what's going on and be a part of this information technology revolution that's happening right now.
2: Right, we look at other agencies too, like DHS, um, or other um, government IT um, functions. Um, not not just the military, although the military I would say is a huge focus.
0: Yeah, great answer. Um, so what are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about Signal Magazine?
1: I, I, I think people just don't understand the breadth of our reach. Sure. How really broad it is. And we're not just about radio communications or telephony we were one time but that was decades ago we really are involved in anything to do with information systems and even that discipline seems a bit too confined at times mm-hmm. you know there's been talk of changing the name every few years someone will come up with that and no one can come up with a better one because the area is so long we wouldn't be able to fit the appropriate name across the top of the, mag- uh, top of the magazine. So uh, I guess that people think we have a very narrow scope mm-hmm. is the biggest problem. Some folks know for example that we came out of the Army Signal Corps and they think we're an Army publication. We're joint, mm-hmm. we're purple. All the services plus civilian government organizations as Kimberly mentioned that are part of this community that realizes that for national security, we need to embrace technology and use it to our advantage.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, that makes sense. You know, people probably think that the focus is so much more narrow than it really is. And I think that's a good misconception to clear up because there's really so much that you guys all cover in, in different ways too. Let me see here. Um, I think we covered a lot of these already, talking about how you like to be pitched. We covered that, talked about one of the most interesting stories that you've had. Um, I guess, what are some of your biggest pet peeves as a reporter? A little more Mm -hmm. interesting question here. I guess it's maybe easier to start with what works.
2: Um, Since we um, all have that online contingent and then a print magazine, we're always looking for photos, so if somebody's sending me information about a new product or whatever, send me a nice high-resolution photo, not just some you know, photo that will be blurry because I do have to always check with our art director. Oh, is this going to work for print? You know, we're always running mm-hmm. down photos. So I guess you know, if you provide your information, but send a photo.
0: Great tip.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Um, we already covered the, the lack of research uh, before sending press releases. So I guess I would take a little different direction and talk about the contributed articles. And I've touched on this already, but when you send me a contributed article, it should be thought leadership uh, rather than marketing. Uh, The biggest reason I turn down contributed articles is that they will pitch a solution uh, without naming their products or services, but it just Mm. happens to be the kinds of products or services that they deliver. And, and that's just not going. Yeah, to work. we've heard
0: that one before yeah. a couple of times. <laughs> don't want to, you don't want to do that <laughs> and mask other, it.
3: The other problem with that kind of article is that they tend to be too elementary for our audience. Sure, we have a very uh, technologically sophisticated audience. Mm-hmm.
0: Bob, anything from you?
1: Mine is really the same one that everyone has in all walks <laughs> of life. When you are promised something in the way of an appointment and then it gets broken mm-hmm. or ignored. Uh, They'll ask, when is your drop-dead deadline, your absolute latest deadline? And you tell them and then two days before that they come back and say, oh, we got an interview for you next week. No, you don't. (laughs) You know, you're past it. Uh, That has been a big problem and I will tell you this to give credit where credit is due. I have had just in the past three days some Army public affairs people pull strings like you wouldn't believe and produce someone on short notice who gave me a quick interview. And that's on the heels of the Indo-Pacific Command doing something similar and giving me two of their top people on short notice being able to pull it together and meet my deadline. So you get some who will move heaven and earth to make things work for you and others who seem to not worry about a request Mm -hmm. being lost in an inbox and the benign neglect really is not so benign mm-hmm. when a deadline is missed and an issue theme is lost.
0: Mm-hmm. So I know that we t- you mentioned that you're figuring out the um, January issue. Uh And you met today to talk about it. So what are some of the topics that you're covering in the January issue? And then I'm also curious after that to know what are some of the plans for Signal in the future? I know you mentioned evolving with the times and going more towards webinars, digital stuff. Can you elaborate on that as well?
1: January issue? Mobile wireless. Yeah, mobile wireless and Industry industry solutions and that is a cyber edge issue which means we'll have three or four articles devoted to cyber we already have an interview with a government official that's in the can that's going to run in that issue uh... i don't have the editorial calendar in front of me we we talked about bringing it (laughs) but stylistically speaking we're moving uh... to a greater extent into online without sacrificing the print Mm -hmm. if you have been following us closely and comparing trends and stepping back and charting it on some big whiteboard which I don't expect you have. <laughs> you might have noticed that some signal articles that appear in print have been online in a smaller version a month or so beforehand. We uh, we had interviews with key intelligence officers and we ran those online a couple of weeks apart right before a big event that AFSIA had and you're going to be seeing more of that. We're going to be putting online excerpts, elements of articles that are going to run in print but they'll appear online say at least a couple weeks before that if not earlier to give people a taste of what we've discovered in news and don't want to hold anymore but also what will be coming up to a greater degree in more detail in print. Okay. This is all part of our push toward uh, increasing the value of our online product.
0: Got it. Interesting.
3: Cool. And as far as where we're going, should we talk about the writing contest for CyberEdge?
0: Yes. We want to hear about the writing contest for (laughs) CyberEdge. Over to you, George.
3: Starting uh, next year, the CyberEdge quarterly feature that we talked about, uh, those contributed articles will be competing for a $5,000 first prize, $2,000 second prize, and $1,000 third prize. And so we'll be uh, accepting submissions for that in February. Uh, and that will start with the second Cyber edge issue, which would be April, I believe.
2: And Mantech International is our sponsor for that. Yes. Oh,
1: cool. They, uh, Well, in the truest sense of the word, they're the sponsor. And the drawback from Mantech is that none of its employees are allowed to enter the contest.
0: Got it. Yeah, they have a ton of experts across there. Yeah. Are you expecting a lot of submissions for that? That sounds really
1: we interesting. So. I mean, yeah. We
3: generally do very well as far as our submissions, but with that writing contest, I, I think we're going to up our game quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, sounds like
2: it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's a chance to get your name out there, your expertise
0: mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, to a wide platform. Yeah. So why do people look out for more details on that?
3: Well, we've already put out some details on social media, Twitter, and Facebook. Great. Uh, there is a website, which I do not have in front of me. Well, we'll share that
0: when we share yeah, this yeah, podcast. Thank you. We'll definitely share that. Cool. And I know we need to wrap up in a minute here. So we like to have a little bit of fun at the end and just figure out what you guys like to do for fun outside of work. So if you want to go around real quick and just say, what, what do you do when you're not here writing and working hard?
1: <laughs> when I'm not here? You're, you do live. I feel like Bob he lives, lives here. here. I don't know, I get that vibe.
0: <laughs> he looks like he lives here.
1: <laughs> well, my family, although our two daughters who in their 20s are now charting their own futures. One of them is at a work-sponsored conference in Hawaii, and the other is doing research for a grant she got up in Norway. So my wife and I are taking care of the dog.
0: Oh, what and kind of dog?
1: A beagle.
0: Oh perfect, a beagle. And, uh, you can't top a beagle.
1: As far as hobbies I mentioned that I had done some political work earlier and I collect political memorabilia and uh, the perfect combination of the political junkie and the journalist is hanging in my office wall. It's an original first edition of the Chicago Tribune front page that says Dewey defeats Truman. And I'm sure you all remember the achievements of President Dewey. Uh, the Tribune wanted Tom Dewey to win the election so badly, their first edition proclaimed that. When Truman won the election, to everyone's surprise, he appeared at a news conference and held up that headline, grinning broadly, waving it in your face the 1948 equivalent from the president. But I have that hanging on my wall, one, because it's a great collectible, mm-hmm. it's journalism. But the second is that it also reminds me, never jump the gun, never fall in love with a story. There's an old saying, ironically founded by a Chicago Tribune uh, managing editor many years ago. In this business, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. (laughs) That is something that if you want to survive, you've got to go by. Uh, And that reminds me, that headline reminds me what happens when people love a story too much Mm -hmm. to really check it out. And consequently, we have never made that mistake in my three-plus decades at Signal. And as long as I'm here, and as long as these two are here, I don't think we ever will.
0: Wow. That's great. Um, I guess
2: I could say I I have kids as well. I have a son who's in... High school and college, and and then I have a daughter in college. We also have a dog. We're kind of some of us are dog. Uh, what kind of office. dog do you have? A collie dog, a collie. like Lassie. Oh, okay. he's lovely. <laughs> um, but other than that, my <laughs> husband and I, we love skiing. Um, I was a soccer player at AU in college, and still kind yeah. of either watch soccer, or try to slowly play soccer in my older years. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, and I guess if I wasn't uh, a writer for FCA, in my dream world, I'd be a sports writer. Okay. Because um, I love—I am a big sports fan: football, hockey, baseball. Um,
0: Do you like the DC area teams? No, no. I'm a Pittsburgh okay. fan. Pittsburgh. Okay. I drank the Kool Aid long ago.
2: <laughs> and my husband's from New York, so that's always we, well, like controversial thing right, to talk about. So I we follow know. also the <laughs> New York teams. Um, but I guess I also would mention FCA. I'm. I guess proud to work here really because we're doing something kind of unique and it we're a nonprofit. Um, and so on the, the side where we're kind of helping the military and the industry kind of join together and talk about relevant topics, FCA also really invests in STEM education and I think that's key especially yeah, that's for important. this time of day. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I feel grateful to be part of that.
3: Uh, well, my wife says that we live a John Denver song. <laughs> we live in West Virginia. Yeah, we live in West Virginia on the Shenandoah River with a view of the Blue Ridge Mountains. So, we are literally, almost literally, in a John Denver song. So, I like to be outdoors uh, in my off time, either on the river or in the woods, hiking through the mountains.
2: Cool. And you're also a talented musician, so you're kind of oh. like John um, Denver, right? No, okay. I'm not. Full I don't know. your wife. Is. Oh, my wife okay. is. Yes. <laughs>
0: cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you guys, all three of you, for your um, amazing insight that you gave us today. Anything else you want to add or throw in there?
3: No, I don't think so. Great.
1: Not within time constraints.
0: <laughs> we could, we, I mean, we could set up all day and talk about this stuff, right? But this is our first um, multi-guest podcast, so thank you guys for, for being our first um, kind of like a roundtable type of a thing. Guinea pig. So great. Thank you, Bob, Kimberly, and George for your insight today. And this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found.